Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Brad Frost. Brad is a web designer, speaker, writer, and consultant located in beautiful Pittsburgh, PA. Brad has been spending his last few years talking about responsive design, design systems, pattern libraries, process and workflow, amongst other things. Brad's the author of the upcoming book, Atomic Design, which he is writing in the open. Brad has also helped create several tools, sites, resources for web designers, including This is Responsive, Death to Bullshit, Pattern Lab with Dave Olson, Style Guides IO with Anna Debenham, uh, WTF Mobile Web with Jen Simmons, WTF QR Codes with Craig Villamore, and Mobile Web Best Practices. Welcome, Brad. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for having me, Gary. Yeah. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, I came across an interesting t- statistic from Forbes. Um, Telecommuting in the U.S. has grown 103% in the last decade. 50% of people will work remotely by 2020. And in most of these previous episodes, my guests have had many different uh, backgrounds and titles. But most of them have worked in traditional brick-and-mortar buildings alongside their team and colleagues. You're a bit different in that regard. Uh, where most of your work is done virtually with remote collaborators, or at least from the outside looking in, that's what it, it appears. Uh, can you give the listeners an overview of this virtual team process before we get into the specific details? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I work out of an office uh, that I'm at uh, right now, actually, <laughs> uh, which is essentially just uh, a room in my house uh, that I share with my wife who runs her own business. Uh, but yeah, most of my projects, most of my my work is all done uh, collaboratively with people that um, I've had the good fortune most of uh, 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 to to meet in person, I guess with with most of these people. but um uh, but yeah, we all do our work sort of collaboratively and remotely from various places. I'm, I'm also on airplanes pretty much every week, uh, traveling around to various conferences and companies and stuff like that. And so, uh, so yeah, our, the ability to do work uh, remotely and collaboratively with a team uh, that's that's distributed is is awesome. It's one of the the great powers of the web that I uh, have fully embraced. I love it. So um, down to the nitty gritty of the process, and mm-hmm. this is I'm going to make the assumption that you you are the the lead in the um, in the project. Do you meet with the client to get the scope and then assemble a team? Or do you have team members sit in on these meetings? And how do you meet with the client? I mean, do you fly in? Do you Skype in? Do you phone in? I mean, how do you mm-hmm. get that started? Yeah, yeah. So, so the way that uh, I generally work is uh, I sort of have a couple different sort of usual suspect uh, collaborators, uh, uh, namely Josh Clark and Dan Mall. And we're sort of... Uh, 
an interesting setup in our own respects because we're essentially our own agencies, but we're agencies of one person. <laughs> and we sort of, you know, come together whenever the stars align uh, to work on a project. Usually it sort of comes through where, you know, if Josh has something going on or if or someone's reached out to me or someone's reached out to Dan about a particular project, he'll get in touch and say, hey, have this work, seems pretty interesting. Uh, would you guys like to collaborate on it? Uh, and if, you know, if we're busy or if we have other things going on or whatever, it's like, uh, not this time, but, you know, thanks for asking. Uh, but more often than not, it's like, yeah, that sounds like uh, a lot of fun. So let's, uh, let's try to do that. Um, and so that's sort of how we, we sort of get the actual work and we talk with the, with the client and we sort of have a couple phone conversations and stuff like that. And once all the logistics are all sorted out, we're able to, um, we're able to, uh, sign on the dotted line with the client and very often we'll fly in, uh, to the client's offices to do uh, sort of like a formal sort of kickoff. But very often we'll sort of do a couple day, a day or two or something uh, before the formal kickoff to do uh, uh, sort of user interviews or stakeholder interviews uh, with the different people uh, who are ultimately going to be responsible for the success of the project. Um, and so that's really helpful just because it helps give us a lay of the land and what the people are struggling with and what they're trying to accomplish with their project. And then basically we'll, we'll sort of yeah, be there in person for a, sort of a formal kickoff where we sort of synthesize a lot of the stuff that we'd heard over the, the course of the interviews and sort of use that as, as sort of a way to say, okay, here's sort of the general, you know, scope of the project. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's the sort of shared goals that we've heard from everybody. And we do a couple exercises to sort of get everyone aligned uh, across these disparate groups. Uh, and so that that sort of in-person kickoff process uh, really sets the project up for success because it's not it's not one of those things where uh, we're just phoning in or uh, you know we we have uh, we're, we're communicating with one or two stakeholders but you know the five or six other stakeholders uh, aren't involved in those conversations so whenever we actually get down to the actual work um, you know people aren't surprised uh you know whenever they see things going in a certain direction uh we collectively establish a shared set uh, a set of design principles and goals and tactics uh for how to sort of accomplish that stuff and those are the things that throughout the course of the project we come back to those principles and we come back to those tactics that we've all collectively agreed on uh, so that things in, you know, disagreements, which are, you know, natural and, and you know, not necessarily a bad thing. It's, a, uh, you know, again, it's a natural part of the creative process is someone's going to have a different opinion than somebody else. And so whenever those conflicts occur, we basically take a step back and say, okay, you know, whenever we are all together, we sort of establish these uh, as our sort of shared set of design principles. And so, you know, what, what sort of better fits with that particular, uh, you know, conflict. So, great. yeah, great. Uh, once the team is assembled and, and you've had your kickoff meeting and now it's coming back to, um, let's say 
I'm, I'm, let's say early on, you've, you've got maybe style tiles that you're trying to show them, or maybe the element collages from Dan Mall. I mean, this something early on, how do you, do you fly back out to the client to show that to them? Or do you, you know, you know, hand it off to them digitally and then maybe just do a Skype or a phone call with them to go over those kind of things? Yeah, it, it really depends. I mean, okay. it depends on on sort of the proximity uh, of the client. It depends on, you know, how we've sort of set things up, you know, obviously, uh, you know, hotels and plane tickets cost money. So, uh, you know, so it's it's one of those things where it really depends. Like we just wrapped up a project where uh, the client was based in New York uh, and Josh Clark uh, is, is located there. So he was able to pop into their office a little more frequently. But uh, uh, Dan Mall, who's based in Philly, would sort of drive over and then I would sort of fly over from time to time. And we sort of like the three of us, we are also, by the way, we weren't just doing the work for a client. We are also sort of embedded within uh, uh, sort of an existing team and we're sort of like working on their process and workflow and stuff uh, in addition to helping them out with the actual work. Um, but all that's to say, um, sometimes it makes sense to be in the office, especially if you're sort of trying to work with a team uh, to sort of help, you know, get them to work more collaboratively. Obviously, it helps, you know, being there and being present and being with uh, the actual team. But especially whenever we're just doing work sort of for a client, uh, it's not totally necessary to be within their office walls. Mm -hmm. um, very often what we'll do is, um, you know, for uh, we've worked on a, a couple different projects for uh, a TechCrunch, uh, Entertainment Weekly, uh, Time Inc., uh, sort of different redesigns like that. And throughout those processes, um, we would essentially just have a weekly call uh, where we would sort of say, okay, here's sort of where we're at in the design process. And like you said, that might involve style tiles, element collages, prototypes, uh, you know, spreadsheets that sort of serve as our wireframes and other things like that. We basically say, here's where we're at, you know, here's what we'd like to get feedback on, uh, you know, sort of go through, have a conversation. And then we'd sort of, you know, give them a day to sort of, you know, sit on it and, and uh, you know, sort of review everything. And then we'd sort of ask for consolidated feedback. Uh, and then we'd sort of jump on another call. Uh, so let's say, you know, we'd have these calls on a Wednesday. And then we'd sort of have another call on a Friday to get their sort of consolidated feedback, uh, uh, you know, on sort of what's working, what's not working and stuff like that. So it sort of gives us an opportunity to... to sort of show what we have, have a conversation about why, we, why we're doing the things we're doing, you know, get their sort of initial sort of gut feedback, talk about any sort of real like red flags or anything like that. But then they're able to go away, simmer on it, and then sort of, you know, I, I sort of like this approach. Uh, I like how we've sort of set it up this way, where basically we ask for consolidated feedback on that sort of Friday call. Uh, so that means, you know, if the client internally has some conflicts or has some differing opinions on sort of, you know, how things should be going and stuff. Uh, 
you know, it's sort of on them to sort of sort it out so that by the time they come back to us, you know, they have sort of a, a, a unified, uh, you know, sort of piece of, of, of feedback versus, uh, well, he says this and she says this and Bill says this and Janet says this, like, you know, it's, it's, it gets a little hairy that way. So you're, we're sort of putting the, the, the pressure on the client to say, Hey, like, you know, we're in order for the project to stay on track, we need consolidated feedback, uh, you know, by our Friday call. And that, and that works pretty well, I'd, I'd say. Okay. So I, I'm assuming that you have multiple projects going on at the same time. I'm assuming Dan has multiple projects going on at the same time and Josh, and then anybody else you may bring in or off. I mean, do you, like, what do you use to organize that? Do you have like, does everybody use Basecamp or does, you know, have you guys, uh, have all of you set up a system or is it a kind of a free for all? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so a couple of years ago, uh, you know, whenever we started working together, uh, Basecamp was definitely the the, the hub uh, for our projects. Uh, increasingly, uh, it's been Slack, and so each mm -hmm. project will have a, a sort of a dedicated Slack channel with a couple different uh, channels inside of uh, uh, sort of each project or whatever. So we'll sort of have a back channel and then one that we we rope in the client to and and sort of share things with and. Um, uh, so yeah, so th that seems to work pretty well, uh, all things considered. I have sort of a bit of a love-hate relationship with with really all of these tools. I mean, it's uh, Slack especially is sort of like this um, always on, sort of real time, sort of not, uh, sort of thing. Uh, so it's so that stuff can become uh, uh, pretty difficult. But really, at the end of the day. Uh, the the tools and the technology don't matter so much. Mm -hmm. It's more about the the willingness to uh, uh, collaborate. And and again, uh, you know, the usual suspects, uh, Josh and Dan and, and and myself, I think, are really good at sort of uh, you know sort of putting the word out. It's you know if we need help with something or if you know we're looking for something, it's uh, hey, could you jump on Skype or something and like let's talk this through real quick uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you actually you said that one thing that you know it should have been obvious and is that you just, there just needs to be that willingness to collaborate. And if you're willing to collaborate, whether it, it's through smoke signals, <laughs> Morse code, yeah. yeah, or you know like you said, something a little bit more contemporary like Slack channels, it's going to get done. So there just needs to be that willingness to do it. That's it. And, and, and you know, we found working with and sort of training other teams and, and sort of working with different personality types, um, I'd say that the, the three of us at least are uh, pretty extroverted, uh, which sort of helps. You know, there's, there's not that sort of uncomfortable... Um, Oh, if I if I speak up or if I say I don't know something, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be you know perceived as as less than competent or something like that. Um, and I've I found in working with various teams as as sort of a consultant and stuff, there very much is that dynamic where a lot of people, uh, whether it's you know power structures and hierarchies or you know uh, personality differences or, or just sort of basic yeah like inclinations like no I'm a designer I just want to put my headphones on and like not talk to anybody, um, you know that is all those are all realities and and. The unfortunate reality is, is that in order to do good work, um, it, you know, you, you you have to 
take your headphones off. You have to have conversations. Uh, you have to sort of be present. And that's one of the reasons why I like distributed teams so much is that it sort of forces everyone through those electronic channels. Uh, and one, you have a paper trail of all of the, the conversations and design decisions and all of those sort of informal things uh, like that. But then it also sort of helps those people that, that might not uh, be as good as I shouldn't say good as uh, what's the right word? I don't know. Adept at sort of in-person communication, it sort of gives those people more of an opportunity uh, to to sort of participate. So that I definitely say that that's a uh, an advantage of of sort of more real-time tools like uh, like Slack and stuff. That's interesting because I'll 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 say it this way. Um, uh, so one thing is. As an educator, I and all design educators, we really stress that it's bad working in isolation with the headphones on. And I just assumed that, you know, that would actually be worse when you're like, or it'd be a, big, a bigger pitfall when you're working in virtual teams. But it sounds like you're saying like just the nature of the virtual team and the fact that now you have to make an effort to collaborate you collaborate more. Is that a, basically what you're, is that yeah. sound right? Yeah. 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 I think that that's, that's sort of the basic gist. You know, if you, if you want feedback on something, you know, you, you sort of have to paste it up onto, you know, some sort of tool, whether it's Basecamp or Slack or, or Dropbox or cloud or <laughs> really anything, you yeah. know, it's, or, or just an email or something. Um, you know, Whereas, you know, in person, um, again, it's like you might schedule a meeting and, and, and certain people might not be there, whatever. So it's like it sort of helps establish sort of a collective, uh, you know, everybody's able to get their eyes on it and stuff. And, and again, just by sort of going through these electronic channels, you have that paper trail. You're able to say, okay, we, we moved away from this direction because, you know, looking through our chat logs and stuff and, you know, all the comments on this particular file, uh, people weren't responding well with this and that and the other. And so, um, and I'd also say worth, it's worth pointing out that if you do have, you know, these sort of phone conversations and stuff like that, very often one of us will be taking notes and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And we'll sort of, uh, you know, sort of, again, have a document of, what was said and what the sort of key pieces of feedback were so it doesn't just come back to bite you later on down the road where it's like oh well you know on our feedback call or, you know why isn't this blue it's like oh well because in the meeting you said this needs to be red you know <laughs> so basic basic stuff like that but yeah it, whatever it comes to just sort of documenting uh, decisions documenting sort of uh, documenting uh, the progress but also you know sort of more truly collaborating i i, I would say that in in a lot of ways um, you know, the, these digital tools allow us to, to accomplish that. Uh, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, it, it, there are certainly instances where just being able to wheel your chair over mm -hmm. uh, to another person in another uh, computer and sort of just work on something side by side, uh, that's great. And, you know, if you're in that sort of, 
if you're in that sort of uh, uh, setup, an office setup, like I strongly encourage that. You know, the teams that I help train and stuff, it's, you know, yeah, get designers and developers sitting next to each other, get them sort of, you know, comfortable talking to each other. Again, historically, these people have been sort of, you know, siloed off in their sort of various uh, disciplines, all with their headphones on and sort of, you know, uh, uh, in that, those sort of structures, you know, create those silos and also create those uh, as a result these sort of relatively antagonistic relationships between between uh, disciplines and stuff so so if you're in an actual office space uh, you know sitting together I definitely recommend sort of sitting in cross-disciplinary uh, sort of teams side by side but electronically again that's where I think the real power of that this sort of you know digital sort of melting pot where like everybody's sort of in the same chat channel, uh, you know, you're able to sort of, you know, bash through things together. Everybody's hearing the same thing and therefore, you know, more people are, are in tune with, with what's going on with the project. That actually, you answered my, my next question that I was anticipating asking, but <laughs> I will, um, I'll ask it from, so in the classroom, I'm, I'm teaching in a graphic design program, and I struggle with how much it's this idea of front-end development versus, you know, the, the design aspect of it, because um, I have trouble, you know, designers need to, to under, understand the medium mm -hmm. or... Because if they don't understand the medium, they're they're not going to manipulate it as well as somebody who is a designer who really understands the medium. Mm -hmm. So having and so remotely, I mean, so if you're in the office, it's real easy, like you said, to um, have that uh, that you know symbiotic relationship where like the the front end developer is sitting right next to the, um, to the designer and they can, in theory, in yeah. theory, yeah, <laughs> that very often does not happen, but yeah, yeah. In theory, that's, that's I, I shouldn't case. mention this, but I was, um, recently hosting some studio tours and I saw that they had the developer, the front end developers and not even like the, I'm not even like saying like the database, like developers, but like literally the front end developers were separate from the <laughs> graphic designers and I just couldn't believe it. It's, uh, that's many people, yeah. yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, my question is, um, how do you like navigate that? Um, okay, so designer developer relationship in a remote team. Yes, and does it okay. does it does it require the designer to have a greater understanding of the front end development, or it doesn't really um, matter. Yeah, I, I strongly encourage, you know, designers who are working in tools like Sketch or Photoshop or, or InDesign or whatever, whatever tools they're using that aren't actually the browser uh, to, like, like you said, have just a solid foundation, solid understanding of the fundamentals of how this stuff actually gets realized uh, in the final environment. Again, it's, that's, that's, it's about knowing the medium, uh, as you said, very, very eloquently. Um, so 
I strongly encourage that regardless of your uh, of your sort of working setup. Uh, from a remote collaboration standpoint, basically um, uh, how we've sort of handled this stuff, uh, you know, so I'm typically on the front end side of things um, working with designers. And very often what we'll do, and we'll, I'll do this in workshops as well, is sort of get those people together. Um, CodePen, uh, if you're familiar with that mm -hmm. tool, is a fantastic tool that allows you to sort of just quickly write markup CSS and JavaScript and stuff without having to worry about spinning up a dev environment, setting up your Git workflow, and all of that stuff. It's a playground, right? So, so you can... Um, uh, so that's something that I do with my clients and with my my teammates and with uh, uh, workshop attendees and stuff is sort of okay if you're a front end person someone that's skilled in that uh, fire up CodePen um, the designer uh, you know is going to fire up their tool of choice you guys are going to sit together and you know basically spend five minutes sort of working through an idea. So, uh, you know, if, if the idea is, uh, well, we have this sort of hero concept, right? This area mm -hmm. at the top of the screen is going to have a big splashy image. Of course, uh, it's going to have a, a tagline, a call to action, whatever. Um, so the designers, the designer goes, okay, cool. I'm going to sort of, you know, try my hand at that. Um, and for five minutes, we'll sort of go into Sketch or Photoshop and sort of whip something up or get something started. Um, meanwhile, the developer is sitting right there beside them, getting the basic sort of markup in place for this thing, right? So, okay, we're going to have an image, we're going to have a heading, we're going to have a link that goes to a thing. And, you know, this doesn't have to take a whole lot of time. Um, so after a certain amount of time, Right then, we sort of take a step back. You know, pencils down. Uh, designer and developers sort of look look at what each person has sort of come up with, and basically said, "All right, you know, the designer is able to sort of talk through what aesthetically they're trying to accomplish and stuff, whereas the developer is able to talk through like here's sort of the underpinning uh, markup behind this particular component or whatever." And then so uh, at that time. Uh, the developer can sort of start weaving in uh, the designer's uh, uh, sort of initial uh, design direction into the code pen, into the actual sort of working thing. Uh, whereas the designer can sort of go through and start sort of refining things or maybe move on to something different. But after another sort of five, 10 minutes or however long that takes to sort of implement, then we sort of come back to it. Um, you know, designer and developer sort of look at each other, look at what we've sort of accomplished. The designer is able to sort of, you know, provide some feedback to the de to the developer, but they're also able to collectively go through, start resizing the browser, sort of checking things in different sort of uh, scenarios, maybe swapping in different images to see if the hero still holds up. Um, so all of that sort of dynamic stuff that you really can't get. Uh, just with a with a, a static document alone, uh, the designer and developer are able to sort of you know do this uh, uh, sort of you know collaboratively. And and again, this this can happen with a designer and developer literally sitting side by side, or this could all happen uh, uh, you know 
over the internet, right? Over over the mm-hmm. pipes and stuff, and and just with things like uh, Google Hangouts or or whatever, uh, it just puts you in the same room, uh, figuratively speaking, I guess. Uh, so so yeah, so that's that's the sort of general gist of the design development collaboration is sort of like each person's working in their respective tools. There's like a little bit of setup time, then very quickly it's like let's move that design into the browser and sort of you know. Uh, try to find, you know, maybe some of the weak points or, or, you know, sort of talk through what happens in certain scenarios or breakpoints or whatever. Um, and then basically, yeah, by the end of, you know, very often we'll do this as like an hour-long workshop or something. And, uh, you know, by the end of it, it's like we'll have a couple of components sort of built out in the browser, uh, feeling pretty good from a design perspective. Uh, the designers now have a better understanding and appreciation for, uh, you know, all the realities of the browser. Um, whereas the developer is able to sort of, you know, collaborate with the designer and sort of say, oh, hey, there's these things called like CSS blend modes or whatever, or, you know, we could do this as like a little SVG thing or whatever and actually contribute to the design process versus just being like shoveled over some documents and it's like, here, build this out, right? So it's it becomes more of a true collaboration versus, uh, you know, sort of a one-way uh, street. Great. So I, I have one more question because uh, we're getting close on time, but mm-hmm. and it has to do. I want to switch uh, uh, bases and, and talk to, just briefly. I want to ask you a question about atomic design. I mean, I know there's already so much out there on the internet that uh, you know we could find it on our own. But one thing I couldn't find is no matter how I've taught my responsive design class, students have a real hard time. Um, identifying molecules and an even harder time realizing that they can copy the CSS uh, that composes a molecule and then use that somewhere else. They don't see the transportability of those. Is it just me and I'm doing a, a bad job in the classroom or is this something that you notice from all the workshops you've done that, you know, that middle state um, is something that it's hard for first timers. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's tough. I mean, so, uh, for those that are uninitiated, uh, atomic design is sort of a, a, a five part, or I should say five sort of stage. It all sort of happens concurrently. It's not a, a linear process or anything like that, but it's basically five stage process for, uh, creating, uh, UI design systems. And basically, rather than just calling everything a component and just everything's a component, uh, which sort of becomes unwieldy, uh, basically what I've done with this methodology is sort of split it into sort of relatively simple components and relatively complex components. And I call the relatively simple components molecules and the relatively complex components organisms. Um, And so to sort of address your point, Basically, a a molecule is a relatively simple component, meaning that whenever you break that component apart, you're left with atoms, right? You're left Mm -hmm. with elements. Um, So, you know, the the sort of example that I like to give is uh, a form field, right? And that form field might consist of uh, a label, an actual input, and maybe some like helper text or something that, you know, sort of describes what the 
what the uh, requirements for that field is or something. Whenever you sort of explode that component, that molecule, right, you're left with the label atom, the input atom, right? Maybe like a little sort of small paragraph or span or something atom, right? So, so that's sort of how I generally think of uh, of sort of how to define a molecule is like what happens when you explode it, <laughs> right? Do it, uh, are you left with um, elements, right? Like raw HTML elements, or are you left with uh, smaller components, right? So in an organism, for example, uh, you know, like a, a header of a website, right, is often comprised of uh, some some navigation, like a primary navigation, and that's that's a component in and of itself. Uh, a search form uh, uh, molecule, right, which is a component in and of itself. Uh, a logo and stuff like that. So whenever you explode the header, you're left with smaller components, right. Whereas if you explode the primary navigation list, you're less you're left with uh, a couple links and list items. So, so that's that's the sort of basic gist of that. Uh, I will say, um, you know, sort of atomic design more than anything is a mental model for how to do this. Um, I've seen people labor uh, over sort of how to classify something or how to how to define it and stuff like that. And I'd say, don't. Don't hurt yourself. Don't don't think don't think so hard about it that that you know you're preventing yourself from like getting things done. Uh, at the end of the day, so long as you're recognizing that um, you know components can live inside of other components. And again, I the the model I use, right, the sort of naming I use is 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 helpful from a mental model perspective. But like it, you know, again, don't don't hurt yourself and bend over backwards and like have like a three hour long meeting about like where to put something. Uh, you know, you use your gut and and really just just focus on the modularity of it rather than uh, like the classification, but that's that's just it. With so I'm teaching design students, and I'm and I'm teaching them just you know a little bit of HTML and CSS, but they don't understand the modularity. They don't see that oh um, this form. They don't recognize that this form could be copied and put into another. It's like it's it's a free form standing thing. Mm -hmm. So they could like literally they could grasp it. I could duplicate a page and swap out images and now it's different mm -hmm. and they could they they could get that oh i could copy this list item across but they don't understand it's really hard for them to visualize it oh i could take this navigation and use it over here or i could use mm -hmm. this form and use it over here it's that middle they get it at the micro level and they get it at the macro, but that little in between, that's where I, I'm yeah. surprised it's it's hard for students to um initially get when I'm yeah. teaching them coding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 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 seems to make sense. So like first of all, like abstracting things is hard. You know, like naming things is hard. And very often, you know, the way that this works, and, and again, this is why uh, I found atomic design to be especially effective, is that at the end of the day, we're making things in the context of like the final result. So for example, you know, you're building the home page, right? You're designing and you're building the home page. Um, and through that 
process of designing and building the homepage. You're establishing components uh, that can and should be used uh, elsewhere in the experience. But you're, you're viewing that design and development uh, process through the lens of the context of the homepage. So it, it can be hard to sort of take a step back and say, okay, well, what are these elements that, that comprise the, the, the homepage itself? Um, and, and that is challenging. I think it, it takes a lot of practice. And, you know, the, the, the tool that I work on uh, with Dave Olson and, and now some others on the node side of things, um, uh, Pattern Lab basically sort of forces this upon you. I, I shouldn't say it forces it upon uh, you, but it's sort of like the, the way it, it becomes a lot easier to work with patterns um, uh, it's a tool called Pattern Lab, by the way. Uh, yep. It's an open source tool mm -hmm. that sort of helps you create these atomic design systems. So if you're building the homepage, if you're designing, you're building the homepage, uh, you basically can sort of set that up and then basically, you know, create some components and then sort of include those components in, in the, the, the template that makes up the homepage. Um, and what that does is that sort of forces you to say, okay, you know, I mean, I, I have, the, you know, multiple instances of this thing. Uh, so I'm going to make that thing as a component and then include it several times uh, into the home page. And just that process alone helps train you to, to, to think about abstraction, to think about, you know, what what is the sort of structural makeup of this pattern, right? It's not it's not homepage tout. Right, it's not homepage block or whatever it is. It's it's oh, okay. This is just a block, uh, and you know maybe we should you know define it that way. So then maybe on other pages we'll want to use that same block pattern and stuff. So again, it, yeah, it, ta it takes it takes time. It takes uh, you know a lot of practice and stuff. And you know I I don't think that you should. Uh, it certainly shouldn't feel inadequate as a teacher for like for students not immediately getting that because that level of abstraction uh, does take time and lots and lots of people struggle with it. I mean, it, it, the whole teams like project we just came off of is like, you know, we sort of had to they would sort of write things the way that they were used to. And I was saying, okay, landing page. And like, here's all my landing page styles. But then, you know, they, we'd sort of do that, but then we'd take another pass at it and sort of go through and abstract all those things into the, the respective uh, components. So, so it's, it's a big mental hurdle. And I think, again, like, like any sort of good practice, it, it, it takes, it takes time and it takes sort of repetition and stuff to sort of go, oh, okay, I get it. Okay. Well, great. So um, that's all we have time. So before I let you go, is there anything that you're working on that you want to share or, or promote? Uh, it, so right now I'm sort of wrapping up uh, the final chapter of uh, my book, Atomic Design. So if you sort of get some of this stuff and, you know, you haven't heard of it or uh, sort of are, are more interested in, uh, uh, you know, sort of how the whole methodology work or, or uh, about Pattern Lab and how all that works. So I've sort of detailed that in the book. And I also sort of spend the, cha the chapter about sort of process and how to actually make this stuff happen uh, ended up being about like four times longer than I anticipated. So, uh, but as it, as it turns out, there's a lot to say. And, you know, thanks for this conversation and stuff. But like how, 
yeah, how designers and developers work together, how to sell this stuff, how to sort of collaborate, how to how to get feedback, how to get good feedback from clients, how to how to establish these design systems. And then the, the chapter I'm writing now is all about sort of how to maintain these design systems once they're created uh, uh, to build sort of like long term, uh, uh, you know, success and, and sort of uh, value uh, for your organization. So, so yeah, so that's what I'm up to. So it's uh, atomicdesign.bradfrost.com if you want to check that out. And I'm sort of uh, writing it in the open and sort of taking pre-orders. So it's like you could pre-order the, the book for 10 bucks. And whenever the ebook is out, uh, you'll get the ebook, and as well as like a substantial discount on the the print book, uh, version of the book and all that. So uh, I'm pretty happy with with how I've sort of set up the the process of writing this thing. I'm sort of doing it all myself, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Okay, so that's all we have time for today on episode 23 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Brad Frost, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor DigitalOcean and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA, and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes Store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU Today. 